Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 107, and we're going to look at uh, the topic of give thanks. It's appropriate, I think, and AJ mentioned this in his prayer, it's appropriate that we set aside time uh, to thank the Lord and to praise Him. It's something we should do every day, but frankly, it's good to refocus and to be reminded of those basic things that we ought to be doing. As a coach, sometimes we'd have a practice and I'd say to my players, I said, we're just going to go back to the basics here. We're going to go back to dribbling and passing and shooting. Uh, And we need those times to refocus on the basics, refocus on what's important. And this Psalm, Psalm 107, gives us some reasons to be thankful. Uh, If you've got your Bible, um, I've got to turn there. Psalm 107, look with me. Verse 1. Very similar to Psalm 106, verse 1, says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then four times we're told the same thing. In verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And again in verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then in verse 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Does it seem like God is trying to give us a message? Repetition helps me. I see what, what God wants us to do here. He wants us to give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. He does wonderful things, amazing things that we should be thankful for. But I want you to notice the last two verses as well. Psalm um, 107 verse 42. The righteous shall see it. That is the wonderful works that God does for us. The righteous shall see it and rejoice. And all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The loving kindness of the Lord. Now, The word translated loving kindness and the word translated mercy in verse 1 are the same word. It's just that that word hesed has such a wide semantic range. It's also translated goodness. It's also, although it's not in this passage, it's also translated um, uh, loving kindness, mercy, and just plain kindness. But God wants us to rejoice in his goodness to us, in his mercy, in his loving kindness. And I hope this week you'll take some time, just set aside some time in your schedule. And if you are hosting a bunch of people, you may have a busy schedule. But let me encourage you to still set aside some time to praise the Lord and to thank him for his goodness to you. The more we know about God and the more that we know about his amazing works, amazing gifts, things that he's given us, the easier it is to praise him and to thank him. So it it's something we should do is take time each day during our time with God to think about who he is, what kind of God he is, and to praise him for that. And to think about what he's done for us in the last 24 hours and what he's done for us in the last week and the last month and the last year and through our lifetime that we can be thankful for. The problem for most of us, the reason that people are ungrateful that Christians are ungrateful is because they don't take time to stop and think about how good God has been to them. We get focused on what we don't have. We're entitled. We think we deserve more than we really do. 
We live in a country where there's such prosperity that when the power goes out at our house, we think it's the end of the world. There are some countries, serious, there are some countries where they have electrical power, but they only have it for two hours or four hours a day. I was reading an article uh, today, uh, island off of the coast of Africa, they've been struggling with drought, so there is not clean water. They turn on their taps and brown water comes out of their taps if anything comes out at all. Now, I don't know about you, that's a little disturbing. When you turn on your tap at home and the water doesn't come out clear, or it smells funny, Especially if it smells like sulfur, you know, you're like, okay, something's wrong here. We take running water for granted. When there are people around the world, they don't even have water. And we get entitled. We feel like we deserve this. And instead of being grateful for what God's done for us, we become ungrateful because we don't have more. Or we don't have as much as somebody else has. And I hope that this chapter will help you see that what we need to do instead is just think about what God's already done for us. Continue to think about who God is and what he is currently doing for us and to be grateful for those things. This psalm begins with the statement, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. It's a command. Hey, let's do this. Let's give thanks unto the Lord. And there's two reasons it states in verse one, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. For God is good. God is goodness. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God gives us so many good gifts and we ought to thank him because he is good. And because his mercy lasts forever. His mercies will never end. There's another verse that says his mercies are new every morning. And I for one am grateful for that because I need new mercy every morning. Wouldn't it be terrible if there was an expiration date on God's mercy? If we could only count on it to a certain time, and then, boy, we better not mess up after that. That would be horrific. But this says that his mercy endures forever. And in this chapter, there's four groups of people. And I'm going to, be, I'll just tell you right up, I'm going to analogize here. There's four groups of people that are mentioned that saw God's goodness and ought to praise him. The first group is in verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness. We're going to look at sojourners, pilgrims. Wanderers, people without a home, those people ought to praise the Lord. The second group is in verse 10. For such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. These are slaves. These are prisoners. People who are not free ought to praise the Lord because he breaks those chains and he sets them free. People that are sick, notice in verse 17 it says, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquity are afflicted. And this is how we know the affliction is illness because in verse 20 says, verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them. They're afflicted. They're sick because of their own foolishness. And yet God brings healing and those people ought to praise the Lord. And the last group is sailors. Verse 23 says, they that go down to the sea in ships, they ought to praise the Lord. And the reason is, is because when a storm comes, God delivers them. This psalm, verse 2 tells us that it's a psalm, a song of the redeemed. You know what it means to be redeemed. It means that we were in the slave market of sin. 
We were to be sold to the highest bidder. We were to be enslaved for the rest of our lives. And God came and paid the price to redeem us. The price was the precious blood of his son, Jesus. He redeemed us from that. He delivered us from slavery. He brought us out of our darkness and put us into his marvelous light. He took us from hopelessness and purposelessness. And he put us in a place of hope and a place of purpose. We are God's redeemed. And because we are redeemed, we ought to sing to him. It's appropriate that we take time to sing his praises and to express our gratitude to him in song. That's a primary reason that we meet on Sundays. I hope it's not the only time you sing his praises. I hope during the week you sing his praises as well. As you have your family devotions and spend time with your children, I hope you sing his praises as well. But the primary reason, a primary reason we meet on Sundays is to sing his praises. The singing isn't some extra. The singing isn't just to show off. I'm not sure why we would sing if we weren't, didn't have a purpose. The purpose is clear. We are praising God for his goodness. And we're thanking him for his amazing gifts to us. But not only has God redeemed us, but verse 3 says that he's gathered us out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. These people were wandering. They were lost. God not only redeemed them, God only not, not only brought them to a place of habitation where they could live, as it says here in a minute, but he also gathers us today. He's gathered us here. And as Scotty reminded us, one day he's going to gather all of his people home to be with him forever. He's a God who redeems us and he's a God who gathers us and we ought to be thankful for that. Now, as we go through this chapter, just a couple of of notes ahead of time, notice how many times the word soul appears. And you'll see that yourself, the word soul appears because frankly, the conditions people find themselves in, the wandering sojourners, the slaves and prisoners, the sick ones who are ill, and even the sailors. These are actual events that the psalmist is thinking of when he is writing this psalm. But the issue is not their physical state. It's their spiritual state. It's where their soul is at. And you'll see that for yourself. But notice that. And let me remind you too, second note I want to make before we even begin. All of us are broken. All of us have our, our problems. And I don't mean our problems like the other guy is messing with us. I mean our own hearts deceive us. Our own minds play tricks on us. We don't respond. God brings a circumstance. God brings a person. And we don't respond right to that. We all, have, we all are broken. And whether you see yourself in the picture of the sojourner wandering about, whether you see yourself in the picture of the slave who's imprisoned, whether you see yourself in the picture of the sick one or the one who is a sailor, or maybe you see yourself in all four of them. We're all broken. All of us are broken. And here's the good news. God redeems us out of our brokenness. He doesn't leave us there. The news isn't we're all broken. Let's go home and feel bad for ourselves. That's not the news. The news is we're all broken, but God redeems us out of our brokenness and he gives it purpose. And even the things that hurt, even the things we don't understand, even the things that leave us uh, scratching our head and holding out our hands. Why, Lord? Even those have a purpose in God's redeeming us out of our brokenness. And you're going to see that in the text as well. Let's read about the first group. 
Let's pick it up in verse 4, and I'm going to read to you verses 4 through 9. This is the sojourners. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. There's that word soul. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul. There's that word again. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Father, thank you for this passage. I know as I studied it, as I read it, as I came across it in my reading some weeks ago and then studied it again this week, I'm encouraged that although I am broken and although we are broken, you are a redeemer who redeems us out of our brokenness. Even though I respond incorrectly and I sin and I break your law, you respond with mercy day after day after day. Even though I'm confused sometimes and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go Father, you're never lost and you lead me in a right way and you bring me to a city of habitation and I praise you for that and I pray that all of our hearts would be refilled with gratitude to you today, that each of our hearts would have a fresh praise for a God who loves us so dearly, who is so merciful to us, who redeems us, who saves us, who delivers us, who gives us purpose when we have no purpose, who gives us hope when our hope is gone, who gives us bread when we're hungry. Father, we want to worship you and praise you today and into this week. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice these sojourners, they're wanderers. They, they have no home. It specifically says they found no city to dwell in. They wandered in the wilderness. The idea of a wilderness in the Bible is a place where there are no people. Now, a lot of times, frankly, a lot of times when it comes to the wilderness, we see it as a neat thing, right? How many of you enjoy camping. Okay. And so you want to go where there is no Wi-Fi, right? There's no cell phone signal. You don't have running water. You don't have electric. Well, some of you have electricity and you have running water because you drive your RV. That's not really camping, but some of you really do the camping part. No running water, right? No electricity. When it gets dark outside, you sit around the campfire until you're tired. There's no other light. Well, what else would you do? To you, that's a great time. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. Please don't invite me, but I'm happy for you. Sometimes you see the wilderness as a good thing. I do enjoy hiking. I just like to be back in my own bed by the end of the night. Okay. But wilderness, that's not the idea here in, in, in the Bible. Wilderness is a place where there are no people, and it's a dangerous place. Because there's no people, there's no food out there. And in some cases, if you're in the desert, there's no water out there. And there certainly are wild animals. The Bible mentions lions. The Bible mentions bears. It's a place of danger. But it's not only a place of danger, it's also a place of solitude. It says they wandered in a wilderness, in the wilderness, in a solitary way. What do we mean solitude? You're alone. There are other people out there with you. And so as I allegorize this, and I'm admitting right up and I'm allegorizing it, this is a real event. I believe the psalmist is thinking back to the uh, 40 years in the wilderness. There's others that I'm going to mention in a second. But he's thinking back to that. But I'm allegorizing it. You know, you can be surrounded by people and feel alone. 
You can have people in your life every day that are talking to you and you're talking to them, but you're not really communicating and you feel alone and that could be your wilderness. The characteristics of a wilderness here in this passage, number one, there's wandering, so there's no definite direction. You feel lost. What do I do? Now, sometimes it could be literally lost. You're driving to a new destination and your GPS just said turn right and there's nothing there. But sometimes it can be the type of lost where you're, you were in a, a relationship. You had a friend, a dear friend who suddenly betrays you and now you don't even know what that means. You can be wandering in a financial situation that you thought you knew how your finances were going to come together and suddenly a, a loss of a job or illness or some investment doesn't pan out and you don't know the way forward. That can be a type of wandering. There's no definite direction. I'll tell you what's hardest for me when I'm in the wilderness is it's a place of waiting because there's no definite time. So many times I'll, I'll say to the Lord, this is me. I just say, Lord, you know, if you just tell me when this will end, I can, I can endure it. You're sick. If you just tell me, Lord, when I'm going to get better, you've got a financial stress. Lord, if you just tell me when the money is going to come in. Again, you have that interpersonal relationship, a friend or heaven forbid, a family member who's just stabbed you in the back. And you say, okay, Lord, if, if you just show me when we're going to be reconciled, I can endure it. But in the wilderness, it's a place of waiting. There is no definite time when your situation is going to be resolved. And it's that waiting. It's the not knowing that is so difficult. So it's a wilderness is a place of wandering. It's a place of waiting. It's a place of warring. You remember when the Israelites, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they would be attacked by the Amalekites. Another time they were attacked by Canaanites. Of course, that, they brought that one on themselves. But there, it's a place where there's no definite peace. We prize peace. I, I'm grateful for the peace that God brings to our heart. But maybe you're in a place today where there is no definite peace. There is no definite direction. There is no definite time. And you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? What does God want me to do? Well, I have good news for you. Other Christians, other of God's people have been in that place. This one says that they've been there so long that their soul fainted in them. Verse 5, their soul fainted in them. Yes, they were hungry. Yes, they were thirsty. But it, the, the physical lack led to a place where spiritually they said, I just can't go on anymore. I'm done. Remember the children of Israel kept going to Moses and saying, it would have been better if God would have just killed us in Egypt. Maybe you've reached that point. God, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand where I'm going. And I certainly don't know when I'm going to get there. And I have no peace. So I'm done. Jonah. Jonah says to God, God, it'd be better if you just took my life. Wandering in a place where you're alone, there's nothing definite and, and you're done. You know, other people, other of God's people have gone through the same thing. Not just the children of Israel. Think about Moses. The Bible tells us that Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he spent 40 more years in the wilderness with the children of Israel. If I can just do a little detour here. Can you imagine Moses? When they were supposed to go into the promised land just months after they had gotten out of Egypt. The 12 spies come back and they give an evil report of the land. And so 10 of them do. 
give this evil report so the people say, we can't go into the land. And God comes down and he says, okay, your judgment is you're going to be wandering for 40 years. I can imagine Moses saying, no, I just did that. I just spent 40 years out in this desert. Why do I have to spend another 40 years? Why, God, why don't I just go into the land and you let these people wander for 40 years? Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Not only Moses wandered in the wilderness, but Abraham. Do you remember when God told Abraham, I want you to get out of the city where you're at, Ur. That's the name of a city, Ur. Get out of that city. Leave behind your family. Leave behind your culture. Leave behind the economy you know so well. And I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. And Abraham said, that's great, Lord. Where do I go? God says, I'll show you. Just leave this place. And he wandered in the wilderness. I think of David, not just as a shepherd, although he did raise sheep in the wilderness, but remember when Saul is chasing him and he's running for his life, he's living in caves. He doesn't even know, always know where his next drink of water will come from. There's a man, a, a psychotic man who's out to kill him. Saul is out to kill him and, and Saul is not thinking clearly. That's a wilderness. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Paul, after he was saved, you remember he went down to Jerusalem and really none of the apostles except Barnabas, uh, disciples except Barnabas wanted anything to do with him. And then he goes and he spends three years in Arabia. What is Arabia? It's a wilderness. You're not the first person to be in the wilderness. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God puts us in the wilderness for a reason. Nobody's in the wilderness by accident. No, none of God's people are in the wilderness by accident. Now, you may have chosen to be in the wilderness. Remember the children of Israel, they could have been in the promised land in what? Six months, eight months. I don't remember the exact timing. But instead, they had to wander for 40 years because of their rebellion and their lack of faith. But sometimes people are in the wilderness because God wants them in the wilderness, like John the Baptist, like Jesus. The Bible specifically says in Luke 4 that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. God always has a reason for you to be in the wilderness. And among the other reasons it may be, one of the primary reasons that God puts us in the wilderness is to humble us. To humble us, to bring us to the end of ourselves. Because Let's be frank. Let's be candid. We all like to think we can live life without God. That's what we like to think. In our natural, ungodly self. We like to think of God like a, um, like a butler, right? I, I can do it myself, but the butler helps me. God is not your butler. You and I need God every day. But sometimes we don't recognize that. And so we, we get to the end of ourselves. We say, God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. My soul faints. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't find any help. I'm all alone out here. I'm looking for a city, a place where I can be comfortable, a place where there's running water and there's electricity. And I can charge my cell phone and I can't find it. And God brings us there to humble us. It says, out of their distresses, Plural. He delivered them out of their distresses. Plural. There's more than one problem here. And God brought them to that point to humble them. 
When you find yourself in a wilderness, when you find your soul is fainting, when you find that you just, you just can't take it anymore, it's like the check engine light in your car. Now, I'll be frank. When my check engine light goes on, I, it just makes me mad. <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have money. Now, my mechanic, I got a good mechanic, and he will fix it if I pay him enough money. So it's not that. It's just, it's just a, ah, why is this happening? Listen, just like a check engine light goes on, it's telling you something is wrong with the engine. You know what it could be? One time for me, it was as simple as my coolant, some of my coolant had leaked out. And once I refilled the coolant reservoir, the check engine light went out. Now imagine if I say, I'm not taking this to the mechanic and I'm certainly not checking on it. I just keep driving that car. What's going to happen? The engine's going to blow up. Because I refuse to put water in the coolant reservoir? Come on. I think I told you about my Mongolian friend. His engine had been making funny noises and finally it quit working in a way that he could drive his car. And so he came to one of the other Mongolian men. I was just part of the conversation. He said, hey, my engine's not running. And here's the symptoms. And the other Mongolian man said, when's the last time you changed your oil? And the first Mongolian said, what does it mean, change your oil? You know, some basic maintenance will maintain your car and you can drive it a lot longer. And spiritually speaking, God brings us into a wilderness. It's that check engine light going on. Let's check my relationship with God. Let's make sure everything's clear between us. Let's make sure I'm not harboring any sin. Let's make sure I'm not just being rebellious. Let's make sure I don't lack faith. Let's just check some of these. Let's make sure I'm spending some time with him. It's the check engine light. And here's the good news. Look back at the text again. Verse 6. Their soul fainted in them. Verse 6. They were done. They, they couldn't take it anymore. Then verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And notice when they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, God didn't say, well, nope, too late. Should have done that earlier. Remember the very first verse? So give thanks unto the Lord for his good, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they cry unto the Lord, he delivers them out of their distresses. They're in, we're going to see this in every case, all four cases. The people are trapped. They're boxed in. They, they feel like there's, they're in a, in a position and there's nothing they can do to change things because they're in a wilderness. Do you feel trapped today? I've been there. You say, God, I, I don't know if to go to, the, I don't know that I can go to my right. There's danger there. I don't know if I can go to my left. There's problems there. I can't go forward. I certainly can't go back. When you're trapped, again, that's the check engine light. Call to the Lord. It says, then they cried. They didn't just pray. God, please help me. They cried. They said, God, we need you. Now, I don't believe that the volume of your prayers makes a difference on whether God will answer or not. I do believe that the fervency of your heart makes a difference on whether God will answer or not. He wants us to recognize our utter dependence on him. And when we cry into him, we are so desperate. This idea of crying is you're so desperate. You don't care who hears you. I try as a general rule not to yell at people unless I'm at a sporting event and I'm trying to encourage the team I want to win. I try not to yell at people, but I found myself during the summer yelling at Jonathan Grab. 
And you say, why would you yell at him? Well, I'll tell you why I yelled at him. We were trying to move that three-story scaffold. Do you remember that? And Matt had set it up so that one side, the wheels were higher than the wheels on the other side because the wheels on this side on the, on the, um, uh, were on the sidewalk. And the sidewalk's, what, six, eight inches above the, the asphalt? So we had this tower that as long as it stayed on the sidewalk was level. But if you were to push it off the sidewalk, then those wheels would fall down on the asphalt. And I could just imagine this whole tower of scaffolding tipping over. Now, don't laugh at me, Billy. Billy works on scaffolding, so he knows what the, where the story is going. I could just see this whole, and here we are. We have this new building, and all of a sudden, three stories of scaffolding crashes into the window. So I said to him, we're going to push it just down this way, and little ways. He said, yeah. Well, you know, Jonathan, boy, that guy was enthusiastic. He pushes with all his might. There goes the wheel right off the sidewalk. Woo! I said, Jonathan, stop! You say, weren't you concerned that someone might think you were yelling at Jonathan? No, not at that point. I just didn't want the scaffold to tip over. And it's the same way with God. You know, we don't come to God timidly. The Bible says we come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't come to God and say, you know, God, I, I hate to bother you again. We, you've never bothered God. Now, I'll be, you know, I, you know me. We've talked about it. You and I, if you've talked with me at all, you know, I can't listen to everybody at once. So, yes, if you're talking to me, that prevents me from talking with someone else. But here's the neat thing about God. He can hear all of our prayers at the same time. I never come to God and he says, now, listen, <laughs> I've got 1,247 pastors ahead of you. You're going to have to go to the back of the line. <laughs> he can hear us all at the same time. We're never, but we don't come to God. I'm sorry to bother you again. We never bother God. We cry out to him. We say, I'm wandering. I'm lost. I, I'm ready to give up. I need your help. So that brings me to the question, what will it take for you to cry out to God? Remember, the reason you're in the wilderness, a primary purpose is God is humbling you. And you know you've reached the point of appropriate humility when you cry out to God. You're no longer worried about what other people think. You're no longer holding on to some hope that you can save yourself out of this wilderness. You're not, no longer thinking, boy, if I just go a few more steps, if I just had more food, if I just had more water, you're done. Your soul's fainted and you say, then I'm going to cry unto the Lord. What will it take for you to be appropriately, appropriately humble so that you cry unto the Lord? Because God knows how to just keep turning up the pressure. We had a man in Mongolia, and it's, it's a long story, but I remember four things distinctly, distinctly happened. The first was he got into a financial jam so that he decided his only way out of his financial distress was to declare bankruptcy. Now, he's in Mongolia, and all these accounts are in the United States so his pastor wisely said, why don't you just come back to the United States? Let's take a look at your finances. You know, we love you. The church loves you. Let's take a look at your finances. Let's see how we can make this work. Maybe bankruptcy is not your only option. And this missionary said, no, I'm not going to do that. So then his wife had some unusual illness and I, there, it's pretty private stuff, but unusual illness. And, and several of us said, you know, 
maybe your wife needs to be seen by a doctor in the United States. Mongolian medical care is just different, number one. Number two, you have to speak to him in Mongolian. And even if you know Mongolian, which his family had not yet learned Mongolian, it's hard to communicate to your doctor in another language. Some of you know that. Why don't you go back to the States? Nope, not going back to the States. Then his daughter, her hair started falling out. And they said, oh, it's ringworm. I, I never had ringworm. My children have never had ringworm. But I guess some people, they have ringworm in their head and the hair starts falling. It's just ringworm. We had a fella come to Mongolia. He was in the medical profession. And he took one look at, at the daughter and he said, you know, it looks like she has cancer. You need to take your daughter back to the United States and get her checked out. Nope, we are not going back. You know what God was doing in that missionary's life? He just kept turning up the pressure. He let him wander in the wilderness because he was trying to get that missionary's attention. What will it take for God to get your attention? We had a preacher come a couple of weeks ago, you remember, and he was preaching about the, the 10 plagues of Egypt. Why did it take 10 plagues before Pharaoh finally agreed to let the Israelites go? And even after that 10th plague and he let the Israelites go, just a few days later, what is he doing? Mustering his army and chasing after them. And what ends up happening? He loses his army. What will it take for us to humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. If you're a sojourner today, if you're a wanderer today, you're, you feel like you're out in the wilderness and you're out there and there's nobody out there to help you and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you just can't take it anymore. Your soul's fainting. The answer is right here in front of you. It says, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Their whole purpose, verse 4 they found no city to dwell in, the end of verse 4. That was their purpose. We're going to go through this wilderness. We're going to find a city to dwell in, but they don't find it until they cry unto the Lord, and then he leads them forth by the right way, and they go to a city of habitation. It says, he, verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now, I... I, I have to admit, sometimes I look at commentators that I should not look at because they're infidels. And I had one infidel suggest that this word soul has been mistranslated in this chapter. What it really is, it's throat. It's, for he satisfieth the longing throat and filleth the hungry throat with goodness. I, I don't know where that man comes from. It's not a physical thing. Now, God will meet your physical needs. Don't misunderstand me. God will meet your physical needs. But it's your soul's needs that are of utmost importance to the Lord. And it's your soul that God can satisfy. It's your soul that God can fill with his goodness. But here's what you have to do. You have to cry out to him. You've got to quit thinking it's the doctors. Now, by the way, if, if you're sick, you need to go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. But you need to pray and ask God. To give those doctors wisdom to, 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 to prescribe the right treatment. I'm going to set that aside. Don't think it's only the doctors. Don't think it's only the government that's going to solve your problems. Now, we need a government. I, we do. We don't want anarchy. But you need to look to God first. Don't look to your spouse to solve problems that only God can solve. Don't look to a friend. So many people, well, you know, my friend's going to come through for me. And we need friends again. We need friends, don't misunderstand. But you need to cry out to God. You're, you're welcome to call me. 
You're not bothering me when you call me. I often will tell you right up front when we're counseling, I cannot fix this situation. We need to pray to God. I can give you advice. I can cry with you. I can laugh with you. I can give you point, verses, point you to verses that give you some insight. But ultimately, what we all need from the youngest person in here, Daniel, is he in here from Daniel all the way up to the oldest one, we need God. And the reason we continue to wander in the wilderness is because we're trying, in our crazy thinking, we're trying to find a way to do this without crying out to God. Stop. Stop avoiding God like he's a problem. Set aside your pride and go to him. It says that he will lead you by the right way. I'll be frank. Sometimes... I've been dealing with people. I know exactly what God wants to do. We've prayed. We've looked at scripture. We say, okay, this is what the scripture says. This is what you need to do. And they say to me, is there anything else I can do? I don't really want to do that. Think about the fella who has offended someone. He's, you know, he's stolen from someone. And what he really needs to do is he needs to make it right. He needs to go back to the person that he's stolen from and say, hey, I took something that belonged to you. Here's restitution. If he has the item, give it back, right? Here's restitution. Would you forgive me? That's what he needs to do. And he looks at me and he says, can you do it? No, I can't. I mean, I'll go with you. I'll stand right by your side. But you've got to do this. The, the, the husband who is at odds with his wife because he's just been verbally abusive and just beating her down. And I say, okay, listen, the first thing you need to do is you need to ask your wife to forgive you. Can you do that for me? No, no I'll go with you. I'll stand right by you. I'll smack you on the backside of the head to get you to talk, but you've got to do it. God will lead you by the right way. But here's my point. So many times we're not finding the city of habitation. We're not finding the place of rest. We're not finding the place of peace. We're not finding the place of home, the place where God wants us because God's saying, here's the right way. And we're saying, no, 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 no. There's got to be a different way. There is no different way. There's God's way that's right. Sojourners. I'm convinced that some people are intentionally lost. What do I mean by that? I mean, they're Christians. They have God's grace. They could be going in the right way. They could be finding that home. They could be finding peace. They could have that satisfied soul that God offers to give them. But they are determined to do it themselves. They're determined they don't need God. They don't need God to show them what to do. They're going to fix it themselves. And they continue to wander. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me. But that implies you need to follow. He's leading. He, he's showing you the right way. And you're saying, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to try this one. I've seen people try this way and that way and another way. And they finally come to me and say, pastor, I've tried so many things. I say, yeah, have you tried God's way? Well, I don't really want to do that. Well, then you're going to continue to be lost. You're going to continue to wander. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be thirsty. Your soul is going to be unsatisfied. Don't blame God. It's not his fault. Don't say to me, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Look how tough life has been to me when the path 
to the city of habitation is right there in front of you if you'll just go God's way. He leads them in the right way. Verse 7, that they might go to a city of habitation. And then that verse that we're going to see four times in this chapter, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul. I hope you've experienced that satisfaction that God, only God can give your soul. And if you have, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you've already experienced that at salvation. If you have, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. You say, how many times are you going to say that? A lot of times, because it comes up four more times in the chapter, and we've only covered the first group. That's what this week is all about. We call it Thanksgiving week. And I think it's a great time for us to just stop and quit thinking about all the things we don't have. Don't think about the Black Friday sales and whether they have what you want on sale or the gift that you want to give to someone else on sale. Stop and be thankful for what God has already done in your life. Stop and be thankful for the work God is doing in your life. Stop and be thankful that God is good. Now, we, we as Christians, especially if you grew up in a Christian home, you don't realize how good God is until you watch some other religion where they believe their gods are bad. Sometimes gods just do things because they like to play with humans. They just like to mess up our lives and see what we're going to do. Like the little boy who goes to the ant nest and he just kicks the nest over to see what the ants are going to do. God is never like that. God is good. And when he puts you in the wilderness, remember this, you should have written it down. When he puts you in the wilderness, he does it for a reason. He's got a purpose. I don't know what wilderness you might be in this morning. Maybe your wilderness is your career. You've really worked at it. You've made efforts. You've tried to improve yourself. And you're just not advancing like you think you should. Or, Or maybe you've reached the terminal end of the career you're at and there is no more advancement and you wonder to yourself, what do I do? God has answers for that. Maybe you're wandering in some relationship. Like I said, you thought you knew this person. You thought that person was your friend and now they've stabbed you in the back. They've betrayed you. They've abandoned you even. And you say, now what do I do? God has an answer for that. And then... When God brings you to that city of habitation, when he shows you again that he is good, oh, that you would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Father, thank you for the uh, message this morning about wanderers, sojourners, folks that are without a home, folks that are pilgrims. And I am convinced that there are people this morning listening to this message that feel lost and alone. They definitely identify with that idea of wandering, no definite direction, of waiting, no definite time, of warring, no definite peace. And I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would make alive this truth to their hearts, that they need to cry unto the Lord. They don't need to be embarrassed. They don't need to hold on to their last strip of pride. They they don't need to find their own way. They need to call unto you and you will lead them in the right way. And then give them the grace to go through the door that you open, to go down the path that you set in front of them, to obey, 
Give them the grace for that. Lord, for those of us, we've been there. I've been there, wandering, lost. What am I going to do? I have no, I can't go forward. I can't go back. I can't go to the left. I can't go to the right. Or maybe I can go all those directions, but none of them lead anywhere. I've been there, Lord, and you brought me out of that place. And I want to praise you for your goodness, for your wonderful works to me this morning. Give us a heart that's fresh and full of your praise. Fresh and full of gratitude to you for the good gifts that you give to us. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed because I want to give an invitation this morning. Christy's going to begin to play the song that we will sing, but just want to give you this invitation this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, standing with me, how many of you feel lost this morning? I I know we're coming up on a holiday season, but maybe you feel alone. You don't know how you're going to get through this time. And you'd say, Pastor, as you close, would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? How many of you feel lost today? Thank you. You Put your hands down. God knows. Call to him. Cry to him. Don't be satisfied until he fills your soul with good things. How many of you would say, Pastor, as I heard this message, I'm reminded I need to praise the Lord and I need to thank him more. I've been ungrateful and he's been so good to me. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I I lifted my hand too because so many times I'm entitled. I'm telling you all the things that you haven't done for me as if you're failing. Forgive me. I'm so grateful that your mercies are new every morning. We need hearts that are filled with your praise and with your gratitude. And I pray for these that raise their hand because they're lost. They're wandering. They're sojourning. Lord, you have a right path for them. You have a right way, a way that leads to that city of peace. And I'm asking that you would open their eyes to truth this morning. And I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.